Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. We just pray that you bless our interactions as we as we look at your word and think this through this one last time. Give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come full circle to how we started with this Sunday school class with a pop quiz. Because we started with a pop quiz. So pop quiz. Same pop quiz that we started with. Which person of the Trinity do you think most people tend to feel the least connection to or relationship with or have a the least clear conception of, and why do you think that is? Holy Spirit! I would agree. Because <laughs> she saw the sign on the door! Yeah, I think so too, but why do you think that is? We've talked about this. So. Well, even though I didn't get to come to class that often, there's really a kind of a process to understand the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I can see why, if you're not going to search it, Mm-hmm. And look for it, it would be very difficult to embrace it. Okay. He it seems the least corporeal of the three. He does seem, well, with the fact that he's the Holy Spirit. Now, it is a, if, if it's primarily a natural ripple effect of the Holy Spirit having no physical form, how does how does the Bible describe the physical form of God the Father? It doesn't ever, right? It does. We get this sense of, well, my dad. And, and, and John had at least a mental, not physical, but mental picture of God on the throne. And so we tend to Zeusify Yahweh and go, uh, throw him, white beard, boom, boom. And you go, well, that's, again, a little bit more Zeus than Yahweh, but all right, whatever. For that matter, how is Jesus physically described in Scripture? But, I mean, his physical form, plain. Playing. Any details other than playing? Bible talks about him getting his beard plucked out, so. That's it. That's all we know. People go, yeah, well, I can picture Jesus. And you go, well, I'm sure you do. But again, almost every picture of Jesus that we have is some reflection of our own culture. You know, people reinvent that in their own heads. So. We oftentimes, even though we don't have these biblical descriptions of God the Father, you can sit if you'd like. Okay. Uh, we, we don't have mentally, we, we don't have biblical pictures of these guys. We do have mental pictures that, that we have of these because we understand what a father is. We understand what a son is. Spirit's a little harder. In the Old Testament, the word for spirit is ruach. Uh, it's grammatically feminine. In the New Testament, the word for spirit is pneuma. It's grammatically neuter. Remember what the words... Pneuma or ruach mean? It's wind or air or breath. Yeah, it's particularly windy or breathy. Is this why what's what's his name in the draft name the Holy Spirit? Possibly. I might guess it's otherwise. There are some other things about spirit being referenced as a woman. I mean, feminine, so. Okay. I'm just saying that's probably why the Shack guy did that. I think that's more political, and yeah. th- th- for him, but that's. But with with, with this, think about the, uh, even in English, we talk about the spirit as as breath, don't we? Inspiration is to be breathed into. Respiration is to keep having the spirit in and out and in and out. To expire is to breathe out your spirit. Yeah, it's it's very much something where. Well, why is that though? 
Why is why does why do we tend to associate the spirit with air or breath? Why does the Bible tend to associate the spirit with air or breath? Why is that? Yeah, it, even at the, even in creation, and then we're, we're told God breathed life into man. It's not just dust; it's also breath. And we go, yeah, 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 you know, air. Go, yes, but also spirit. The spirit is life. If you don't have breath in you, you don't have life, and you don't have the spirit. If you do have breath, you have the spirit. To to the biblical way of thinking, it is absolutely essential that we connect the spirit with having life, with having air, with having breath, with all that kind of stuff, and that, that moves along. Now, Jesus repeatedly breaks with grammar to specifically refer to the Spirit as he. Not it, like he should. Not she. He. Why? Arguably so. So, it's to be hard to picture the spirit as feminine. Jesus didn't describe the spirit as feminine. But is, is he really trying to get at the fact of the gender of the spirit? Possibly. It's possible. Why else might he break with grammar and instead of saying it, call him he? I would argue that was the main thing. Because especially when he's doing that, he's specifically talking about his personhood. The spirit is not just a force. It's not just an active thing. The Spirit is a person, a person of the Trinity. He's got volition. You can grieve him. You can make him angry. He has ideas. So, let's one last time just kind of review looking at the Holy Spirit, just to cover what we've talked about in this class. So, by definition, this one's going to be a little bit of a whirlwind. I apologize, but I want to give us one last snapshot. Spirit was pretty active before Pentecost, right? So why is it that when we think of the Holy Spirit, a lot of Christians tend to jump to Pentecost? It's a big and shiny and splashy. Big and shiny and splashy. Anything else? Yeah. If, if, if you're right, one of the main reasons why people struggle with the Holy Spirit is that we go, well, I can picture a father. I can picture a son. Oh, it's hard to picture wind. All I can do is picture the effects of wind. When I think of wind, do you picture wind or do you picture trees going? You picture the effects. So this is big, splashy, but also something that everybody can see. What were you going to say? Yeah, I thought you said something. Uh, no, it's just really significant. Very much so. Do you remember all the Spirit's actions going on in the Old Testament, though? Because if you remember in the class, he's constantly, throughout everything. Because sometimes we tend to think, well, he's not in the Bible that much. He's... He's all over the place in the Bible. How early was he actively involved with things? Creation. How so? He separated the earth from the earth from the waters. He did? Wind. Okay. Says the wind did? Okay. We, we already talked about this. Yeah, in which verses? I don't know. Somewhere in there. Genesis. Genesis. One. One? Like, the very beginning, in the beginning, okay, all right, we don't have time to hit all these, but I, I think maybe we should read the first, read in Genesis up until the point where you get to the Spirit. It might take us a little bit, but I want you to read until you get to the Spirit. We already talked about later on, he, God breathed his Spirit into man, he breathed life into him, but start reading Genesis 1-1. 
beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay. Very stinking beginning, right? It's just like really, really early. We have the Holy Spirit as part of it. God the Father is creating all things through his word, right? And the Spirit is hovering over the waters. You go, well, that's a trinity early on in the very end. Early on, he's involved in things. What kind of giftings do you see the Holy Spirit providing throughout the Old Testament? Anybody remember any of these? There was a knowledge to build the um, tabernacle. Okay, not just not just the floor plan of the tabernacle, but was there any specific knowledge that he gave to people? Like what? Gold, the spiritual gift of metalworking, right? Yeah. That sort of thing, yeah. Okay, what else? Do we see as spiritual giftings in the Old Testament? Yeah. Yeah. You have the spiritual gift of ripping a line apart and pulling city gates off their hinges. The spiritual gift of that. Because every time that Samson used his great strength, we're told the spirit came upon him, right? It wasn't just Samson was a big tough guy. It wasn't even just God empowered Samson. It was specifically, consistently referred to as a spiritual gift, right? What other kind of spiritual gifts do you see? Old Testament, anything? All the visions of the prophets. Yeah, everything that everybody is writing in itself, under inspiration is a spiritual gifting. But all the things that the prophets are saying, you know, the Spirit has come upon me to say this to you. Balaam, sitting here on a donkey, talking to his donkey. He was supposed to what? Curse. And he did, correct? No, he kept trying and it kept coming out different. Because yes, the spirit kept speaking through him. He was a professional spirit talker. He was a prophet. He's supposed to tell what the spirit tells him. And he's like, sure, I can tell you. I can tell people what you want me to tell. Oh, I can't. Because I actually am a professional spirit talker. So you see the Holy Spirit working in all sorts of different ways in the Old Testament. In what way or ways would you say that these gifts were what we'd usually think of as spiritual gifts today? And in what ways would you say that they were different? Why not? Because uh, it's politically uh, incorrect. Yeah, okay. and, and very visceral. I don't think it's all that often. <laughs> not a lot of lions floating around central Illinois. But it's also very visceral. Talking and, to bears. Talking to bears? So let me, them. let me link those two things together. We tend to think of this, and maybe let's divorce it for a moment from animals, maybe the spiritual gift of ripping city gates off their hinges rather than ripping apart oh, lines. But, so we tend to think of it as very visceral, or we tend to put these things with super strength, talking to animals. Those are, those are fairy tales. So you go, all right, why isn't that stuff the spirit does? You're like, well, it's visceral, not spiritual. The spirit doesn't do physically kind of stuff. Or we look at it and we go, yeah, but that's fairy tale stuff. It's not like the spirit interacts with the world like this. Doesn't he just basically nudge your spirit? What were you going to say? Yeah, something? I was going to say that they're all like physical things. He, uh, in like metalworking, is like something that you don't, people do that, but you're not yep. like, oh, if you're talented at metalworking, that's God. It seems, since it's physical and people can't do it, mm -hmm. and even with the strength things, you know, 
that there's like a certain level of strength that we have, you know, we have the Olympics, we have lots of sports, and people keep getting better at those kind of things. So probably most people would say, oh, that great strength, that's just one lucky dude that something DNA, Have you ever seen a representation of Samson on screen or anything where he's skinny? He's always this big guy. Why? Because he's strong. So he has to be a big guy, right? I, I'm not against that concept, but but that's the, the assumption there is that this physicality has to come from physicality, and spirit does spirit. And it, 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 we, we, we make this differentiation between that spiritual stuff the spirit does that I never really do understand, I put it over here in this box. And all the physical things that I do in life that have apparently nothing to do with spiritual stuff. Doesn't the Bible over and over, especially in the New Testament, but doesn't the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over say, you know, that may be a false dichotomy. Maybe the way to look at life is not, well, this is all the physical stuff that I do over here that's my stuff, and then over here, say, on Sundays, that's the spiritual stuff that I let God do. It's like, yeah, there is a distinction between spirit and physical, but aren't we supposed to be taking spiritual truth into every physical thing that we're interacting with? All right. Somebody do me a favor, because, again, we're trying to boogie through this. Um, somebody read me 1 Samuel 10, 1, and 5 through 7. We're not going to read tons of verses, but I, I wanted to read what's going on here. The sword drill, whoever gets there first. 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, and then verses 5 through 7. Samuel. Oh, <laughs> so close. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not Yahweh anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of, of Yahweh, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Five through seven. After that, shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of Yahweh will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm saying, go ahead. Yeah. Um, do what your hand finds to do. For God is with you. Okay. So what sorts of different things do we see God doing here with Saul? Okay. He's choosing Saul and living with Saul in verses 1 and 7, right? I, I pick you. I'm anointing you, and I will be with you, right? He's telling Saul's future in verse 5, isn't he? This is what will end up happening to you. He's empowering Saul in verse 6, isn't he? Come upon you in power. He's changing Saul from the inside out in verse 6, isn't he? Okay, help me out here. Which of these things can the Holy Spirit still do in our own lives today? Or has he changed? That's an easy one. Would you agree that he can do all those things? I mean, he doesn't, though, right? All right, let me ask it this way. Which of these things do we expect the Holy Spirit to still do in our own lives today? We anticipate it. We say, well, of course I would expect this. Of course... Of course he's going to be doing that. You live as though you believe that God has, through his spirit, chosen you, picked you, pulled you to him, right? You live as though he's living with you and in you, don't you? In everything. Because again, let me, let me clarify, it's not just Sunday mornings. It's Tuesdays when you go to work. It's 
Thursday afternoon when you're having a debate with somebody, it's you're living as if the Holy Spirit is living in you. You are a temple of God, right? Everybody nods. Should you not? Is that how you look at it? You live as if um, God can tell you what's going to happen. You may not, but you live as though it's possible that God might go, no, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. Here's, here's how this goes. You live as though you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not just you. When you're making decisions, when you are trying to, to figure out wisdom, when you're interacting with people, when you're saying, I need to figure out how to share the gospel with somebody, you don't feel like that's just on you. You live as though you genuinely believe the Holy Spirit will empower you and give you the words like he promised to, like with Peter, right? You live as if the Holy Spirit is constantly changing you into a different person, and that's a good thing, right? If you're anything like every other human being on the planet, you probably struggle with all these sometimes at various points. Maybe not all of them, maybe not all the time, but at any given point, it's easy to sit there and go, I kind of felt like this is all on me and it didn't even dawn on me to say, God, speak to me and give me direction or empower me here. When we think about the Holy Spirit, when we, when we think about his personality, the fact that he's protecting his people, that he loves his people, but also that he's grieved by them sometimes, and he actually even stands against them in anger sometimes, right? Remember from Isaiah 63 when we're told, oh, he's protecting his people, he went ahead of them, he loves his people, and then they really made him mad, and he became their enemy. But even then, he wants to call them back and be with them. How does that affect our perception of him? That he does empower, he does live with us, he does love us, and he can also get really, really mad at us, and, and be very grieved with us. Well, just as parents, we get upset and want to correct our kids so they'll be good people. Okay. So the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing, and as adults, we don't particularly care for that, but we need it. We don't think we're kids anymore. We think we're past that now. We don't think we need it. And even if, and even, no, I agree. And even if we did, wouldn't we normally think of God the Father in that term? Do we think of the Spirit in a parental sense? We talked a lot about not just being uh, like a Jiminy Cricket, right? And I yep. think this is <laughs> some good scripture to look at and be like, that's really a misunderstanding of how active he's trying to be, uh, can be, and will be in our lives. It is fascinating to me. And, and hopefully you picked up on this as we were going through the study. It's fascinating to me. How many times in Scripture, when the Bible talks about the power of God, not just the, like Jiminy Cricket, and I'm trying to nudge you toward, but the, this is whoosh. It talks about the Spirit. You know, and the Spirit went ahead of them, and the Spirit came into them, and he was moved by the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, I addressed the crowd and go, whoosh. You just go, this is Power. And we go, okay, so I can picture that. It's like the, you know, this, this overwhelming force. You go, right. But with personality and intention and attitude and feeling, volition. You know, okay, so he's a person and he likes to sit on our shoulder and talk to you. No. Power. Niagara Falls with will. It's not the way we think of the Holy Spirit. And it's hard to picture that. And most of us, if I say, are you thirsty? Rip open a fire hydrant and take a drink. It's not the way we tend to think about that. And if we did, we'd be overwhelmed, even mentally overwhelmed by that concept. 
So what do you do? You go, well, whatever I do, I'm leaving the fire hydrant closed. Or is there, is there a way I could just open it at a trickle? Or can we just go to a water fountain somewhere? I get it. It does make sense. And yet, in, the, in, in, in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is something we're supposed to be engaging with. We're supposed to be overwhelmed. We're supposed to be super saturated and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Aren't we told then? So that we're overflowing that into all those around us? We go, I would be overwhelmed. You go, think about what the word overwhelmed means. It means filled to overflowing where the thing is pouring out the sides. You're supposed to be overwhelmed by the Spirit, aren't you? We don't, we don't tend to like that. How do we begin to point to the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament when we think about it in this way? this stuff is he doing in the New Testament? How so? Yes, I... I thought. How so, though? In what ways? My point exactly. Yeah? Well, I mean, there's the whole Saul to Paul conversion thing. Yep. That was pretty overwhelming for Paul. Let me knock you on your keister... Uh, let me take your sight and get back. Oh, yeah, that's Yeah. And there was a was transported to the side of the road where this Ethiopian eunuch was driving by and outran a chariot? You can't usually outrun a chariot. Not usually, no. I mean, you have to go back to Elijah to do that, right? Who, filled with the Spirit, outran a chariot. Okay? What else? Pentecost. Or any time that the Bible is talking about that baptism in the Holy Spirit, that, that filled to overflowing the Holy Spirit, that it isn't just, you're a Christian, you have the Spirit in you, but the Spirit going, nope, I'm super saturating you and overflowing you at the moment. Well, it doesn't specifically talk about the spirit there, but it's, it's, they're all one. They kind of, you know. Yeah. Where were you? What were you thinking? I was saying when Jesus was being was it, when he was baptized. Ooh. Okay. Remember that thought because we want to come to that one. <laughs> I know it's part of Pentecost, but Peter's first sermon there. That's so, definitely the overwhelming. Pardon me. And the languages being understood. Exactly. Um, or even just the whole idea of new life in the spirit itself, isn't it? It's like here's what you used to be, and then the spirit comes and goes whoosh, and here's what you are now. Yeah, the, the irony that the guy that that, that, that Paul later goes, well, come on, you're acting you're acting Jewish around the Jewish people and not Jewish around the other. Pick one, be uh, be honest about how we're, is the guy who got the vision about this. Yes? Stephen, um, when um, he like, confronted everyone and gave this whole like, long speech going through mm -hmm. the entire Old Testament, and then we saw heaven open. And, and what terrifying description, or terrifying, not calm, terrifying description are we given of Stephen? He had the face of an angel. Not serene, terrifying. Yes? With power oozing and overflowing off them to the point that it terrified them. But so, they still killed him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, yes. 
So what do you remember about the Spirit's action in the New Testament prior to Pentecost? Okay, Gary already brought up the, one of the first times we see him in Scripture. Wait, no, before that. Long before that. When Mary became pregnant. How exactly are we told that Mary became pregnant? Yes. How does that echo what we've already seen in Genesis 2-7, breathing life into Adam? Job 33-4, where we're told God gives life. Psalm 104. God's breathing his life into us. We don't have life unless the Spirit is breathing into us. Is this something brand new? Because we'd be tempted to sit there and go, wow, that's new. In some ways, yes. Is it brand spanking unprecedentedly new? God breathing on dry bones in the valley and they're coming back to life and things? He's cool. This is, he's been doing this since the beginning, hasn't he? God sculpted something, the Spirit breathed life into it, and it became a man. The incarnation of humanity was through the Holy Spirit. Well, it shouldn't surprise us the incarnation of God is through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, what is, why is it significant that the Son of the Father is, is generated, is conceived by the Spirit? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all of God action. It's not like an independent, like the sunlight rogue kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I understand, I do totally get why we tend to focus on God the Father and God the Son in the incarnation. It is. And, and, and honestly, that's what a large part of, of Scripture is talking about. Christ talking about my Father, I do the will of the Father who sent me. Above. I get it. But we're told specifically, it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. There isn't this huge, I mean, again, I like this image. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. They are not exactly the same. And yet, they are all God. We can make too much of a dichotomy between these, two, these, these different parts where we go, well, this is God the Father, and that was the, the Spirit. You go, you, you decided to eat cake, and so you went and you got cake, or maybe even better yet, you decided to, t I decided to tell Alex something. So I walked over and I said, okay, Alex, here's what I want to tell you. Now help me out here. What part of me was involved? Was it my volition, my decision-making processes? Was it the breath in my body? Or was it my body itself mouthing words? Which, which part said, here's what I've decided I want to tell you? Now there are distinctions. I mean, my mind didn't, make audible words to him. That required breath going through my vocal, past my vocal cords. No, they're all involved, they're all involved in distinct ways, but we make arbitrary distinctions between these persons. How, and this is where Kelvin comes in, how is the Holy Spirit active in Christ's baptism? Yeah. So you look like a dove? <laughs> Possibly. It's possible. Why? If it wasn't just a bird flew on him and then John said, that's the Holy Spirit, and everybody went, okay. Um, why else might the Bible talk about the Spirit came upon him like a dove? Yeah. Well, it may just have been that the, whatever part was visible of the Spirit, there was something visible that made them sense it. Then maybe the motion that it made was looked kind of like the way a dove looks when it's settling down. Could be. Sorry. It's like wind, you know. <laughs> could be. Could be bright like a dove, could be flapping and moving and flying. Who knows? It doesn't have to be, it was a dove. 
it was a dove. It doesn't necessarily have to be, it was a dove. But the Holy Spirit, you hear the voice of God the Father. You see the Spirit landing on the Son. So this is when Jesus received the Holy Spirit. That's a really dangerous piece of theology. Do not go there. Well, that's when Jesus became the Son of God. No, there's a whole school of theology about that. Don't go there. No, he is God. He's got God's Spirit in him because he's God and he's got a Spirit. So he's got God's Spirit in him. Dude, math. This is the Holy Spirit saying, let me see, let me let all of you guys see that I am, I am blessing and I'm affirming my son. And then help me out here. What is Jewish baptism all about anyway? They still do baptisms, right? Every Jewish synagogue has a baptistry, right? Yes. Yes, they do. What is Jewish baptism all about? Why do you dunk people? Now, John said, wouldn't it be great if we could do that about sin? Right? But up until John, it wasn't necessarily about sin. It was what Emily just said. It's you go down one thing in your old life, you come up something different. You go down a Gentile, you come up a Jew. You go down a secular Jew, you come up a priest. That sort of thing. So why did Jesus get baptized? Because of repentance of sin? That's a brand new thing that John was saying. Is that why Jesus got baptized? Is he saying, I have to put to death my old life because it was sinful? No. Because John said, dude, I'm doing baptism for repentance. I don't think I should do that for you. And Jesus is like, I didn't say you are doing that for me. So why did Jesus get baptized? From a Jewish sense. What with them all being Jews there? Yeah, so he's like, 29 years, I've been, a, I've been a carpenter. Now that I'm 30, I come up a priest, I come up a rabbi, I come up a, not, I'm repenting in my old life, but you're like, nope, this is, this, is, this is how I start my new ministry. Why? It's how every rabbi starts their new ministry. It's how every priest starts their new ministry. Of course I'm going to do this. And then what was the very next thing the Spirit did following the baptism? Next verse. Pardon me? Let him into the wilderness to be tested. To be tested. So does the Holy Spirit act to affirm and support those whom he love, or does he lead us into potentially painful testing situations in life? Yes. What does a parent do? As a parent, do you love your children, or do you sometimes do things specifically that make them unhappy? Do you allow them to be unhappy? Oh, I say, yeah. You're being sarcastic. Yes, homework is done. <laughs> you did it with such a beautiful straight face. I'm like, I, no, it isn't. <laughs> how, how far do I want to push that? Uh, <laughs> but that's the thing is, you sit there and you go, there, I don't want, Gary doesn't want Ariel to cry. If he did, we'd be having a different chat. But sometimes in order to love Ariel, he's like, not only do I have to allow you to cry, there are times as a parent, no, I need to make sure you cry. I need to make sure you hurt here. Because I would rather you hurt a bit in response to this than die in response to it five years from now. I would rather, I want to make sure, if I ever spank you, if I spank you and you giggle, I've done it wrong. Right? And, and I shouldn't keep doing it that way. Because then it just becomes a really dysfunctional game. Um, it should hurt, and I should make sure that it hurts. 
Not because I want you to be in pain, but because I want you to realize this is supposed to be a disincentive. I'm not suggesting you go spank. My point is, any time that you were doing any kind of... Oh, well, you can see Punishment. Just yeah, there you punishment. go. So what exactly, ha what exactly happened at Pentecost? They spoke in tongues. Yay! What else? People could understand their language. Yep. The Spirit descended on them. Yep. And overflowed within them, where they had these abilities. Yeah. Like a what? Like a rushing wind in the house, in the in the, in the side room of the temple where they were. The wind came in. The pneuma, you know, wind. It just sounded like a rushing ruach filled this place. And when, I I love pneuma, but ruach. That's the word that when I think of the Holy Spirit, I'm like, he, he's pneuma. I'm like, no, oh, he's ruach when he comes in. Is it, wait a minute, is it, was it just the sound, or was there, because you know, you picture the flames, like, really blowing around. Was Definitely. there actual, I mean, does it? <coughs> it doesn't say that the wind blew. Okay. It says there was a sound like a rushing wind. So no believers had the Holy Spirit in themselves prior to Pentecost, correct? Did they? Yes. Yes. Jesus breathed his spirit into his disciples back in John 20, right? So what's the significance of a subsequent baptism in the Holy Spirit? What's, what's the point of baptism again? Remind me. Because he talks in, in, in the first chapter of Acts, says the Spirit will come baptize you. Fire and power and stuff like that. So what's the point of that? Yes. You're, you're dunked in this. You're, you're, you go under one thing. You come up something else. You are super saturated in this. What are you going to say? And in baptism, that's what then that's what Paul talks about in Romans, right? It's it's you 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 die and come up alive. You realize that you've been dead and you come up alive. Here, this is the most consciously appropriate sense of that. I mean, baptism itself, when you go into the water, that's a nice physical depiction of going down into the grave and coming up. But here in in in, in, in Pentecost, you're talking about you are literally getting life breathed into you. The spirit that gives us life in the first place breathes to overflowing in you. That's a powerful image. Is that baptism something we should desire today? I mean, there's whole sections of, of the church that go, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not even necessarily talking about this a Pentecostal sense, but, but maybe in a Pentecostal sense. Is this something This I want to be breathed into, I want to be baptized, I want to, to go under one thing, come up with something else, I want to be changed, I want the Spirit to breathe into me, and I want to be a different person. Like he, like he did with Saul. I want to be, I want to be filled with this power, not so that I can go, look, I'm filled with power, but because I want to honor God. Is that something we should, we should be desiring today? How is this, this new life coming from death, is this expressed in baptism? Is it totally in keeping with everything we've seen in the Holy Spirit from throughout the whole Old Testament into the New Testament? This changing from one thing to another, we saw it in Saul, we saw it in the first chapter of Genesis, we saw it in Joel, we talked about that this is what the Spirit's going to do. Ezekiel. Okay. How did he change Peter? We already mentioned this briefly. How did he change Peter on that day? And 
I love Peter. I love Peter even when he was a doofus. I love Peter. But he's just like, yeah, he's very impetuous. I think that's a wonderful word for it. Not bad, just like, oh, I feel a lot. And I've got relatively... I'm passionate, I'm impulsive, I want to do for God. You go, that's great. And yet, I would say, 1 Peter is probably the most densely Old Testament-packed book in the New Testament. It is clear in 1 Peter he has inundated himself with the Old Testament. You can't get through the first two, three verses of Peter without going, there's like ten Old Testament verses he's referencing here, and it's weaving it together tightly. So you go, you took somebody who was passionate and impetuous, who makes a lot of mistakes because he didn't really think it through, and you go, right, now I give you focus, volition, and direction. Yeah, that's a force to be reckoned with in Peter. How should he be working through us today? How should you and I be ruach today? Or maybe I'll ask in our non-charismatic church, do you feel particularly ruach? Or do you tend to sit there and think of, of the Holy Spirit as, He's nice. I'm the temple of God. That's great. It's, sometimes I'll pray, and I'll get God's gentle nudging in a given direction, and that's great. When, this, when Throughout the, the, the Bible, we're told, now He wants to ruach you. He wants to move through you with passion and volition and direction. He's the wind pushing the sails of your ship. You go, well, yeah, I, I appreciate a gentle breeze. Wind. Alright. How would Christ express this new life in the Spirit to people during his ministry? How did he describe it? How did he express it to, say, anybody remember who came and talked with him at night? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. How did he express it? Yeah. The Spirit gives us new life. What? What? It has to be through new birth. Why can't the Spirit just give you improvement in your existing life? Why does something have to die for you to have life in the Spirit? How so? That was the rule before the fall, wasn't it? From the before the fall, and certainly with, with this is part of the, the problem with Cain and Abel, is this appreciation of, do you understand the cost here? Do you understand? You don't just put a band-aid on it. Something's dead now, and something new has to come alive now. This is, this is how this works. So many times we're like, I'd like to be changed into something better you know, a better version of everything that I am. It's like, well, kind of not the way this works. You need to be changed into the person God sculpted you to be. Which is still you. It's just a living version of you as opposed to the dead one you've been carrying around all this time. How is this new life supposed to be fundamentally different from your old life? Anybody remember anything? Well, I mean, we have a, I mean... This whole thing we have actually new DNA, mm -hmm. which is uh, this very thing. So we are now we're children of God, and so we uh, emulate our Father, right. and so our and everything we change from the fact of wanting things for me 
now want things, they don't want to do things in terms of really edifying others, edifying the you know, church, not and to glorify him. One of the last things we hear Jesus praying is not my will, but your will be done, right? Because I want to, my spirit is in line with God's spirit. I, I have God's, it's like, well, if we're children of God, it doesn't mean that we, and there's some whole religions that say, and we become God. God becomes you. But we're children of God. We are part of his family, and his spirit is in us. Shouldn't we also be saying, my spirit should be more and more in line with God's spirit, my will more and more in line with God's will? Okay, anything else? How you react to different situations in life? Well, when we still, the same sins are like okay still, we should be repulsed. Yeah. Like you said, like with God, you know, when you're with a group of people and they think you're just being a fanatical person, but it's important that these sins are becoming repulsive. Yeah. Um, it's a limited example, but before we got married, it was okay, you know, Wendy to be dating other people. I mean, when we were not dating each other and things. Not so. After she changed her name and said, I am a new person, I'm now Wendy Wright, it, it, maybe she should look badly on the idea of dating other people, right? Some things that you go, well, I thought this was okay before, but now I'm a different person. I, that's probably not okay anymore. I shouldn't think of it that way. Set limited example. How do you personally still too often feel conformed to the shape of this world instead of being transformed? By the Holy Spirit. Do you have guts enough to actually give a tangible example? I'll say I, I, I can sometimes, uh, even the last couple of weeks, because different sort of things have happened in the last couple of weeks, I'm just like, I, I can tend to sit there and go, it's, it's hard not to look at all the data points around me and make conclusions on the data points. It's, 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 it's hard. And so there are times where I'm like, well, I always seem to be one email, one offhand comment, one sermon illustration away from somebody throwing their crayons. So my world is one gigantic set of bear traps. And if I work really, really, really well, I don't step in many of them. And if I or somebody else does, I can get out of the bear trap before we bleed to death. It's exhausting. So yes, when I should be sitting there going, God's in charge of this body. God's spirit is filling this. And I'm here because God has told me to be here and I'm trying my level best to follow his will and do that. I don't have to look for the bear traps. I just do what the spirit is leading me to do in a given day and it should work. But do you see how sometimes I'm like, uh, who's going to be thinking about bear traps and where I might be stepping in them? How about you? I get Because it's easy to do. It's so easy to do. What were you going to say, sir? Um, I just think that, it, like, like you, it's really easy to see, like, the logical decisions, the smart financial decisions, the decisions that you're like, oh, well, this will lead me on a path that I... You know, the world would say is a good path, and not, and not in like a, not not things that are bad, it's yeah, good, yeah. but yeah, uh, but then sometimes it's hard to let go, and and especially if you're like, is God really telling me to do this or not, is it just something that I want to do that's stupid, or is it actually God telling me to do something that's worldly stupid and spiritually smart? Sure. 
But let, so that's a perfect example of stuff where you go, not necessarily evil stuff, just a worldly way of looking at it. But there's also stuff where if I come, uh, who should? If I come and I kick Kelvin in the shin, and Kelvin goes, ow! That's, that's not worldly. It is it's physical, it's natural, and it's fine. But if I kick Kelvin in the shin and he goes, ow! Smack! Okay, the first, the ow, is instinct. The smack is learned worldly response, right? Help me out here. Megan, somebody comes up and is a jerk to you. For you to go, wow, that's instinct, right? For you to go, <laughs> that's learned worldly response, I'm right? Sure I can that sound, but yes. Oh, I've, I've heard it many times. So, but that's worldly learned response, and we do it all the time. Why are you growly at me? Because you were growly at me. Learned worldly response. Or is it okay to have a little bit of both? Led by the Spirit, but also, yeah, respond, to be a little conformed by the world. It makes sense. What does Romans say? Don't be conformed. Don't do that. Paul says that at least some people are controlled by the sinful nature, right? Yes? And other people are controlled by God's Spirit, right? What's the third option Paul gives? How's that work in everyday life? At any given moment, in any given altercation, any given interaction, you're one or the other. You're led by your worldly, sinful nature, the dead thing you were stapled to for your whole life, or you're led by the Spirit. How's that work in everyday life? Anybody give me an example? Somebody comes up and says, um, I don't have any money, I could use some money. Could you help me with some money? How do you respond? I mean, it's easy and harder ways to answer that. Easy ways to go, I don't have any money. Or, yes, here's 20 bucks. That's easy, right? Then you go, yes, because the one, I, I, I don't have any money, or I don't want, I don't give people money, or that's the worldly way, and to give them money is the spiritual way. It's the easy answer. Is there, is there a more complicated answer than that? Yeah. That's, that's what I always do. Whenever anybody down the street approaches me or talks to me, and like, I haven't eaten in a day, I'm like, well, let's go eat. Let's go do that. And they go, oh, no. Like, you're not that hungry. I'm handing you free food. I'll even go shopping with you. You want to just go shopping? We're right by Aldi. Let's go shopping. Get you a bunch of free food. Oh, um, no, that's all right. I, I couldn't take your food. Which leads to another discussion, which is, wait a minute. Would I be helping you if I handed you $20? I don't know you. I, you've got track marks on your arms. You, your eyes are glazed, and you go, I could really use money. Is it, is it helping you if I hand you 20 bucks? Is that, is that a really good thing? What should I do here? What I should do is make sure that I'm being controlled by the Spirit. I should stop and go, wait, what does this person need? How do I do that? That becomes the most important thing. Not how do I give them what they're asking for. How do I meet their needs? As opposed to just walking away or doing something that makes me feel good. What? Yeah, and I think this is where the discernment of the Holy Spirit comes into play because it's not always going to be the same situation. And you may need to respond differently depending on the situation. And there may be times where, where the Spirit 
But that's the difference between that's the difference between being worldly and spiritual. But even that's a bad way of looking at it. It's the difference between being spiritual and led by the spirit. The spiritual thing is just to help people. You go. Being led by the spirit helps you figure out what helps people. Paul also calls in the spirit of adoption. This is we also brought this up earlier. By whom we as Christians have been changed into adopted children of God, right? Help me out here. Can a child be sort of legally adopted into more than one family? No. Doesn't work like that. You're 10 years old. You are adopted into a family and not another family. How do we as Christians still sometimes functionally live like we can do that? We can have... We can be... Adopted in this family, and adopted in this family. I was just going to say that sounds more like dysfunctional. Yeah, but don't we sometimes? It's like, well, when it comes to spiritual stuff, I'm very much a Christian. When it comes to physical stuff, I'm not a bad person. But, you know, I kind of figure this out on my own. You go, didn't we start this morning by talking about this kind of an artificial distinction that the Bible does not make? Which we don't tend to... Well, there's a lot of times, I mean, I know that Olivia, when she's bored at our house, you know, I wish I was bored of Lily's family. Because <laughs> like, it's all fun when we go to her house. You know, and I'm, I'm like, well... Um, Every time we go to Grandma's house, it's Christmas. Right. Because we go to Grandma's house, I like Christmas. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's... But you yeah. can't choose. You can't just say, well, because I don't like this at this point, then I'm going to choose to be... I'm going to choose to be adopted over here. And a lot of times when... We do that when we're kids because kids just burble out truth. Um, as adults, we don't tend to phrase it that way. As adults, we just we just make you know good stewardship decisions based on you know the the money that we have or the details that we have. And you go, wait, did you just actually say I choose not to be biblical here at this moment? Well, I didn't say that actively. Yeah, because you're not seven. All right, how does Paul describe the ongoing battle for us as Christians between transforming and conforming? kind of mental image does he bring? What, what sorts of things does he talk about? There's the spirit transforming us, and there's us being conformed to the world. Anything in scripture that, that reminds you? Okay, you can cheat the graphic a little bit and get the ideas. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. Renewing of your mind. Yeah. Renewing of your mind. Being beaten in the shape of the world. Yeah, being conformed to the world. Yeah. In Romans 8, 8 through 16, and if you want to, you can turn there. How does the spirit help us with our battle? between our godly spirits and our natural, natural fleshly incarnate. You know what, no, let me go ahead and look at it, but I'll walk through it here. We're told he enables you to put to death your sinful deeds done in your flesh, right? It's through the spirit that you can even do that. We talk about, oh, Christ puts to death, yes. But biblically, most accurately, it's the Holy Spirit that puts these things and helps you put them to death. It leads you and gives you personal direction. He... He acts as a, as a spirit of adoption by whom we, as beloved children, can cry, Dad. He testifies with our own spirits that you genuinely are God's child. What sort of character do you see of the Holy Spirit in these verses and, and what he's doing here? If he's doing these things, he's the one who helps you put things to, the, the simple things to death. He's the one who leads you, gives you direction. He's the one... Who, who gives you adoption so that you can be God's beloved children. He testifies with your own spirit that you are God's children. Tell me about it. Just from this. It sounds kind of like 
parent, and in particular, I'm picturing the aspect of parenting where you're talking to your kids. Yes. He's engaged. He, oh, well, so he's the part of, this, of the Trinity that's engaged. How do we refer to this? It's the Word of God. Right? And we're told Christ, Jesus, was the Word of God made flesh. No. God makes himself known to us through his word, through Christ speaking and through his living and active word, he makes himself known through his spirit. But no matter what, he's very communicative, engaged, intimately involved. Like a parent who loves his children. Is that a, a different way of looking at the Holy Spirit than maybe we've seen throughout the scripture? No. We keep seeing that throughout scripture, don't we? This parental vibe of this. This engaged, interactive part. What else? The spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you will not for again. Right. Rather, that you were brought out of that. So, I mean, this goes back to Timothy too. I was going to say that's... Also this. about not giving you the spirit of fear. Like, you, have, you, you don't have the spirit of fear to manipulate like, you. You have a... Yeah. So, anytime that you feel, anytime you feel afraid, like you've done something wrong or anxious, that's not coming from God, right? It's a tricksy Pastor Kevin question. Is that what he's getting at? Is that what Paul's getting at here in Romans or in with Timothy? Would Paul ever suggest that it's appropriate sometimes to be afraid when you're interacting with God, or that God might make you feel like maybe you've done something wrong? So what is he talking about with this confidence or with this not timidity? Because I've heard people say, yes, if you ever feel that you lack confidence, if you ever feel like, oh, I'm afraid that I'm in the presence of God, oh, that can't be from God, I'm like, well, it might be. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's, yeah, it's like when my baby can't provide, or I became an Andrews and limited, and I have to go You know what's interesting? Wendy and I have been married uh, for over a quarter of a century, and it still astounds me. I understand it, but I, I confess, it still astounds me that no matter what, we'll have, we'll have an argument, something will go on, something will be huger, um, there will be some kind of big scary moment in our lives or something, and I'll, and I'll reiterate to, to Wendy, no matter what, I, I love you. I mean, even if I'm frustrated with you, even if you kick me in the shins, even if, you know, I, I love you. That never changes. I'm astounded that that she responds emotionally to that. Like a oh. I'm saying that's for over a quarter of a century. I, yeah, my love was never going to change. Even if I'm going arr, 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 arr. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm utterly committed to you and I'm wanting to meet your needs. It's, I'm sure a failing in me, but it I don't I, I'm like it doesn't change. It will never change. There's nothing that you can do that will make me cease loving you. And when I look at this, I mean, think of it in marriage, where you go, I'm afraid sometimes that I might have just really hurt the one person I love more than anybody else on this planet. 
that kind of fear, I go, well, it can be appropriate. I'm afraid I did something really, really toxic. Then, yeah, little fear is probably appropriate. I'm afraid about intimacy with my, with my spouse. I'm afraid to be honest. I'm afraid that if I say this or if I do this, my spouse isn't going to love me anymore. You know, <clears throat> respectfully, there's something wrong in your marriage. Probably ought to address that. I think it's the same thing with God. If, for me to go, to approach the song is a little scary because I know I'm in the process of doing stuff I really shouldn't do. Because God even specifically said, well, whatever you do, don't do this. And I go, I kind of wanted to do it. <gasps> I'm probably in trouble with you. Probably. You go, so I'm afraid to be in God's presence. Oh, no, 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 no. Never have to be afraid of coming close to, the, to your father. He loves you. I'm afraid to be intimate with him. No, 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 no. I'm afraid he's going to... I mean, like, if, if Olivia were to approach me, though, I mean, I, I wouldn't want her afraid of being close to me, but I guess I would want her to... Um, I would hope she would approach me with somewhat timidity because she knows there are consequences. So she's more afraid, I guess, of accepting the consequences. I understand. But, but yeah. there are people who are afraid to be, in, to be intimate with God, to be vulnerable with God. Their prayers become extremely formal. Why? Because like, I couldn't like, talk to God like a person. That would be uncomfortable. I don't want to be that close. Um, or that they're like, man, I'm just afraid God is going to cease loving me today. Like, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Not that kind of fear. In Galatians 5, 13 through 16, how does Paul sum up the law and the leading of the Holy Spirit? Anybody remember? Galatians 5, 13 through 16. Okay, another very slow moving sword drill. Yep, whoever gets there first. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So why does the Spirit give us new life through new birth? Why can't He just give you... Wait, did I? What happened here? How did I... I don't even know how I physically did this. Romans... And everybody's listening online and blind goes, what's his problem? Okay. How is what they were doing to each other antithetical to the Christian life? I.e., how is that living according to your fleshly nature and not according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in you? If you're snapping at one another, biting one another, devouring one another, how is that antithetical to the Spirit? How is that antithetical to everything we've seen about the person of the Spirit and the personality of the Spirit? listed of the fruit of the Spirit. In just a second, yeah. It's um, you know, we're using the gifts of the Spirit and you know, love has to be you know, infused in all of it. And the description there is obviously not loving. It is not, by definition. Right? It's, I don't always have to make the people I love happy all the time. It's not my job to make sure that you walk away from every service happy. But if, if, if you 
even if you snipe at me and I go, pow, back. It's like, well, that's fleshly. That's not spiritual. That's not appropriate. We do that all the time, though. And when we do that, anytime we do that, we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. Isn't that the, the, how he ends chapter 5? Since, what, since we have the Spirit in us, since, since we have that, since we've been moved, since we've been changed, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's, let's follow his leading. Let's do that. How can we still too often live as though we believe that biting and devouring one another can still be okay for Christians? I don't mean, how, well, sometimes we still do it. No, how do we sometimes justify and go, no, this made total sense. against those people and in his letters and says sometimes even don't don't associate with those people okay is that what he's talking about here in Galatians attacking their unrighteousness. I am being righteous. And you go, I'm not sure. Sometimes, yes. But sometimes you go, I'm not sure that's apologetics. I think you're being a jerk. Sometimes we sit there and you go, oh, this isn't gossip. I'm speaking to things that I think all of us need to know because we need to make some correct decisions here as a church. And we need to, you go, did you talk to the person that you have the problem with? Well, no, because I think we need to build a coalition first. Sin. What you've done is sin. This is sin. It's toxic. Stop it. It's not toxic. Always toxic. Well, it's not sin. Yes. Is it what God told you to do? Is it what He specifically told you to do in Scripture as to how to handle this? No, sin. I'm, I'm speaking against this sinful ministry. I'm speaking against this error that this jerk is having. Okay, well, that this what jerk? Yeah, sin. You're speaking against the person, not the, not the, not the. Not, again. I'm not saying that you can't even be sharp. Paul is sometimes very sharp in how he says things. But you have to stop and realize it's so easy for us to justify away and say, oh, what I'm doing makes total sense. Let me tell you a little truism. Everything that everybody has ever done since Adam and Eve made sense to them at the time. I'm just going to add that it's, I mean, it's important to correct those errors. Absolutely. Like in First Timothy he was dealing with that in this context of Paul was giving him some tips. He said, quit arguing with them. Don't, you know, yes. just go back and forth, but you know, God knows those that are his. Uh, teach the truth, but don't argue. Quibbling helps nobody. You want to you say, oh, okay, that is not helpful. Here's truth. Great. But the back and forth doesn't help. And, and Paul even does call out people by name sometimes as being an error. Absolutely. He's not... Uh, yeah, he's not doing it to tear them down. 
I'm sorry, I, I want to try to finish quickly here. We're quick to criticize, we're quick to judge, we're quick to grouse, we're quick to realize all the stuff that somebody just did that we went, that's not what I would have done there. Are we as quick to give unsolicited praises, encouraging words? Are we? Roughly once or twice a month, I get people telling me what I did wrong in the sermon. I'll be honest with you. I get one or two things in a pastor appreciation I don't, I don't even know if we should do Pastor Appreciation Month anymore. Because, you know, full transparency, which would hurt you more, to never again have a birthday party or to have a birthday party year after year, invite people, and nobody comes? So how quick are we to jump in? And I, please don't take this as me going, oh, we're hurting Kevin. That's not my point. My point is we are quick to come up and go, Sarah, you speak once a year. Here's what you did wrong this time. How quick are we to jump in and say, Calvin, I really didn't like what you did here in AV. You're in AV multiple times a year. I never comment on it because most of the time you're okay, but today you screwed up. So now I'm actually talking to you and making eye contact because you screwed up. How often do we jump to why we feel justified to grouse versus how often do you find yourself going, you know what, I never talk to the AV people because I never think about it. Calvin, thank you so much. Nobody goes, you know what, you know what I really love to do in a church? Work in the sound booth. So excited! Yeah. Calvin isn't back there because that's his goal in life. He's like, I see a need and I step forward to it. Okay. So do we go up and say, hey, you know what? I appreciate everything you're doing here. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this. Just, I'm not saying you have to look at ratios. I'm not saying it's always wrong to, to disagree with you. Just litmus test. Which comes easier? sharing positive feelings and things when I was growing up, which is part of why I made it a point to, to continually remind my kids to the point where they're probably like, yes, it's like, I love you. I appreciate you. You are good people, etc. First Corinthians, why does Paul break with his discussion of spiritual gifts to talk about love? He doesn't. He doesn't? How so? It's all been about love, and it's all been about spiritual gifts. And if you remember, as we walked through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Everything about it, especially in chapter 14, you couldn't get to a thought without him bringing it back to koinonia, fellowship. How does this build up the body? Because remember, all this is to build up the body. If 13 is an interruption, if it is literally why he's talking about spiritual gifts in the first place, how is that consistent to everything we see about the Holy Spirit throughout all of Scripture? From what we just talked about today. Why is he giving any of these gifts at all. Pardon me? Because he loves us? Okay. Because all the spiritual gifts and all these things work together to do what? To edify the body for what purpose? To glorify God. No, no, but it's been since the get go. I'm breathing life and direction into you. Why? So that we can live in ways that actually honor God. So it's all about edifying God. Um, about edifying you and coming together as a community so that you can praise God. You can live in a way that honors God. 
So it's all about us. No, no. Stop making these dichotomies. The whole time, it's always been about filling us, empowering us, directing us so that we honor God. So how do you live that out tomorrow? How do you live that out on a Thursday? How do you do that? You consciously have to stop and think about this. What elements about any of the stuff we've talked about in the last several weeks as we've been going through this, what, as we've been going through the Holy Spirit, has stood out to you most, the personal? What stood out the most to you? Anything? I know this has been one whirlwind review, but all this stuff is stuff we've talked about. So is anything stuck with you? Growing up in, in a church that was great in a lot of things, I think we tended to quiet the Holy Spirit and what he's doing today. So to look at him as this powerful force that, um, that maybe I need to clean my pipes, as we talked about plugging into him, that he is very active and alive today and not taking the box I put him in. And even the people who go, yes, he's living and active today, have their own special pretty boxes. So it's just easy to box him up. But he's wind. You don't do that. What else? Anything else jump out at you than what we've talked about? Okay. We'll talk about that in the sermon. So remember that. Anything else? Okay, full transparency with me is I'll say, I, I even knew a lot of this stuff, and, and still doing this study, I'm realizing how much of the Spirit is in Scripture. There's, there's whole sections that I'm like, how have I read this my entire life and never noticed that this is all about the, the Holy Spirit? How did I miss that? How did I miss, how, how did I think of him in Acts, and go to Acts chapter 2, and miss what he's doing in Acts chapter 1? How incredibly active he is in Acts chapter 1, in the first couple of verses of Acts chapter 1. How have I read that and never noticed that? How blind am I? I guess, for me, that is like consistency. I love consistency. Um, and there's always the argument that consistency is not consistent. He's not the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament. And it's, it's great to see okay. how he is. And to remind ourselves so much of what he's doing. Because when you think of spirit, it's easy for us to get spiritual. How much of what he's doing is tangible, physical, affects us on a daily basis? Visceral. Yeah, then we go. It's easy to forget that he's a person. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you think about your relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, that it's hard. You know, you don't always think about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who is your liaison, right? He's your paraclete. He walks alongside of you. He, he, he takes your case to God. He plumbs the depths of God's volition, God's mind, and brings it to yours and connects your spirit to God. He's intimately involved, and we go, ah, I don't have much relationship with him. You go, blah, blah, blah. So, so let's work on that. Let's, let's work on our relationships with the Holy Spirit. Let's clean our pipes. Let's let him work in us. Let's have a relationship with every part of who God is. Thanks for sticking around another extra ten minutes. To this, but let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you are so intimately involved in our relationships, so intimately involved in our lives. Not just in our spiritually bits, but in every part of us. You fill us, and I pray, Lord, fill us to overflowing. Help us not just to appreciate your life in us, but help us to appreciate being filled to overflowing with your ruach that changes us and pushes us and works in and through us. Thank you, Lord for all that you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen.